So this morning, we are happy to be again in the house of God, wherever his people gather. We call it office, but this is the house of God. When his people come together in his name, we just want to thank him. We just want to praise him. We just want to worship him. Oh, Father, even as we are here in your presence, with your people who are present, few, and all the others, Father, everywhere, from home, different nations, cities, we come together as one body. You made us one. Without you, we would have never, ever become one. But you, through your word and through your spirit, made us one body, Lord. And through the ministry of the word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are bringing us to that maturity, that fullness of Christ. That one day in the twinkling of an eye when rapture takes place, we will really know we are one. So even this morning, when as we look into your word and then pray, I pray, Spirit of God, you would touch us. We lift you up, Christ Jesus. We magnify you, your word, your name, your honor, your glory, your presence, your power. We magnify you, Lord. And we continue to confess we can do nothing without you. And we continue to confess we can do all things through you. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are with Gideon. We'll go to chapter 7 and we read from verses 3 to 7. Remember, we're dealing with that crucial, crucial subject, that one subject. Judges 7, 3 to 7. <clears throat> now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water. I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But the rest of all the people got down on their knees to drink water. Separation is continuously going on. Okay, please understand. This is for battle. This is for war. So we are going towards three. We are dealing with man's biggest problem. Becoming the instrument of God. In obeying God, walking with God. And we have looked at it. It's got to do with fear. Fear is the number one constraint. We saw yesterday, that's why God says 365 times, fear not. More than any other command in the Bible, he says. Anything else, 
most repeated command of God to his children is, do not fear. And we will realize, we saw yesterday, it does not matter what you have. You have a palace, you have prosperity, you have power, you have it all. Security, protection, everything. Yet, you will see, one dream would cause Nebuchadnezzar to fear. And we see the next king. One hand comes on the wall, writes, and his knees start knocking against each other. His joints lost, I mean, became like water. That's what fear does. Fear does, okay? Fear can cripple us. Really, really cripple us. And it doesn't matter who we are or what position we have reached. Fear, and it connected with death. Before man fell, there was no fear because there was no death. There was no loss. Loss and death. That's where fear comes from. Okay, that's why Bible says the ones who overcome the devil would not love their lives even unto death. They fear no loss and they do not love their lives. So they are not afraid of death either. So we saw on Tuesday the solutions. Okay, we'll get into that again. First solution is focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Fear not. God doesn't leave you like that. He says, fear not for I am with you. Continuous through the Bible, starting with Abraham onwards, I am with you. And usually we are afraid because we do not sense his presence. We do not sense his presence. Second thing we said is that, uh, Romba, there is a person, that is God. Second, there is a place where we are going. It's home. That's home. So what is what happens if you lose? You gain there. There's no loss in heaven. If you're lost on earth for his name's sake, it's only gain in heaven. When you lose everything, you have everything there. So there is a place called home. Not a house, not a mansion, though it's called a mansion. It's a place called home. No tear, no grief, no sickness, no death forever and ever. So there is a place called home. And the third thing we looked at is that we have to look at through the eyes of God, through the eyes of scripture, what is death for a believer death for a believer. What is death for a believer? There are many hurdles once we are saved. The first hurdle, you are saved. In spite of all the opposition of the enemy to the gospel, the big thick scales that were over our eyes, through it all God's word came through some servant, some brother, some sister who witnessed to us and the light came in. That was the biggest hurdle. And once we were saved, we were put in a race. God says run. And there are so many hurdles in this race. And those who overcome will inherit all. And the last thing we have to overcome is death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 25 to 26. For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. Where does he reign? He reigns in me. He reigns in you. Romans talking about righteousness reigning through grace or grace reigning in righteousness. So Christ has to reign in. That's why we keep saying Christ has to increase, we have to decrease. If I am increased, I will fail every day, continuously. In this race, we may look successful in the world. It is irrelevant. The devil looks back and laughs at us. It doesn't matter how successful we are in the world. If we are not winning this race, we are losers. We are losers. The kings of this world were losers. Hell had opened up to receive them. The mighty men who shook the earth, who were living, were whooshes down over there. Demons were kicking them around. There was nothing over there because death had power over them. The devil had power over them. So it doesn't matter what we are over here. The question is, is Christ reigning in me? 
is grace reigning in me so christ must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet till when till he has put all all my enemies in this race through christ i put it under his feet he reigns through me grace reigns in righteousness through me and what is the last the last enemy that will be destroyed is death the final enemy final enemy let me tell you about this the final enemy death that's not what we are looking at it matters how you die let us say you have a hurdle race 100 hurdles you successfully cross 99 and at the 100th you falter you falter how you die matters that's why we have two pictures in the bible in the new covenant how jesus died and how stephen died how jesus died his death was victorious he overcame in his death. He overcame death. How he died, forgiving his enemies, fearless, evangelizing in the middle of it, and at the end, committing his spirit. And you will see Stephen too dies the same way. Dies, so forgives his enemies, commits his spirit in the hands of God. This is victorious. No panic, no fear, nothing to put right before God. The Lord, Lord, give me five minutes. I have to forgive that one. I have to forgive nothing. He's forgiving his enemies for what they are doing to him. He's not crying out to people, forgive me before I die. You see, the slate is clear. Absolutely clear with God and man. Conscience is absolutely clear. So it does matter. I'm not saying that you don't make it to the other side. Don't misunderstand me. Then it would be on our works. It matters for our crown on that other side. Paul is absolutely clear when he's living. My crown is over there. He said, this one did to me. This one, I do not hold anything against them. I do not hold anything against them. Even my first defense, nobody came. I don't hold that against so the Lord him shall stood by me. So it matters how we die. That's why I said we have to look at death differently. If our eyes are fixed on this world, we will not realize what we will miss in eternity. Our eyes are so caught up in the world and the affairs of the world. I mean, you open the newspaper, there's no good news. See, we are constantly spending our time reading bad news. And we spend very little time reading good news. And we ask ourselves why we are so miserable. Because if you read bad news, you will be miserable. <laughs> How can you read bad news and be happy? Right? If you read good news, the joy of the Lord comes. Okay, So there is good news. But remember, good news has to be understood. So death is the final enemy. And it matters. And the thing is that it just doesn't happen, happen that overnight. There is a preparation for death. This walk of faith is a preparation for death. Preparation for death. And you will very rarely see even in the Old Testament, just few people whose death is mentioned and they died well. One is Jacob. He died well. Leaning on his staff, blessing his children, prophesying over Israel. He died well. Joseph died well. He said, don't, 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 don't bury me. I'm a prince of Egypt. Don't bury me. Embalm me and keep it outside. A day will come. God will send somebody. You will go out of it. Take my body with you. Bury me in the promised land. I don't want any monument here. Just bury in my father's grave. Okay. So they died well. Moses died well. So he made one mistake. He died well. God walked with him and God buried him. David died well. Saul died very badly. Samson died badly. David died well. Josiah was a very righteous king. Didn't die well. He died before his time. So even in the Old Testament, you will see only very few people died well with purpose. Their death had purpose. So even now when I'm talking about death of somebody in the Old Testament, we will see, okay, you know what? These guys died well. 
Elijah wanted to die before time. God didn't answer. He's still waiting. He will come back and die. Okay, and he will die well. Elijah will die well. Enoch also will die well. People say it's Moses and Elijah, but I don't believe it. I believe it's Enoch and Elijah who are the last two witnesses who will come, die, and rise up again. Okay, so we have to look at these things. These things are important. Why? When all these things are happening, we should lift up our heads. Lifting, lifting our heads up is not a physical gesture. You can be lying in a bed, unable to lift your head, yet your spiritual head can be lifted up because you have walked by faith. And you have understood the principles of the kingdom of God. And that has become your life. That has become your life. Faith has become your life and not sight. Not sight. Otherwise, when these things all happen, you really do not have a walk with God. But because pastor said, did you walk like this? You will stumble and fall somewhere. God is not saying when things are happening, walk. Look down, walk so that you don't hit some rock. But your spirit should be lifted up. Absolutely lifted up. You are absolutely lifted up. Then yesterday we saw about faith and fear. Both has two sides, the good and the bad side. Faith in the right object is good. Faith in the wrong object, faith in self is bad. Faith in the arm of flesh is bad. Faith in God is what? In the same way, fear is, has the good. There are, we need to fear certain things. It is good to fear. Okay, It's not craving, petrified, but good. The fear of the Lord is good. It is clean. It is pure. Okay, the fear of man is a snare. It's a snare. So we looked at it. And finally, we looked at God saying about why, why is this thing important? Because what you believe really matters. What you really, what you believe really, really matters. Really. You know, you look at all around the world. Why are things happening? <laughs> it's because of what people believe. Okay. There is a false sense of liberty. When you have received a lie as a truth. False sense of liberty. Okay. Let us, let us say, mm-hmm. let us say Samir went to US. And he didn't keep in touch with India, but he's coming back after 10 years or 15 years. He's coming back. What he says is, okay, I got money in the bank. I put enough money. I can come back and live happily. The problem is he doesn't realize he had put his money in Charminar Bank. <laughs> when he comes over here, he re- goes to his branch. He doesn't. The branch isn't there. So you see what has happened is he's put his money in a bank, but the bank collapsed. And the bank and the money disappeared. You see, it was false courage. So a lot of people have, like if you are of a particular religion. Where does, where does your faith come from? That if I die, I will migrate, I will come back. For a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, and chance after chance after chance. So can they believe it? They believe it. The problem is that belief is wrong. It's wrong. Every religion, every religion has got a set of beliefs. But the problem is, death is the final exam. The problem about death is that once you cross over, you cannot come back and redo the exam. It's over. It's over. That is why there is so much false information pumped in by the devil about death. About death. Even Catholicism. 
You die, there is purgatory. And Biden is sitting there doing woofy things, thinking that he will go to purgatory and he's going to clean up all this mess up which he has done. There's no cleaning up and there's no purgatory. There's no purgatory. One of the biggest lies which has been put across by the devil in a huge chunk of the Christian world, Catholic Church, is purgatory. That you die and your soul will go to this place of, and you will be cleaned out and then you will go. There's no purgatory. The Bible is very clear about this. Appoint under man to die once. Then it is judgment. No purgatory. See, when people do not know their Bible, people do not know their Bible, you can believe anything. can believe anything. And this is where ignorance is very, very dangerous. Very, very. When we do not understand about death, when things come, we panic. We panic. Like I said, being careful and panicking are two different things. So we looked at this Three questions Jesus asks, two questions Jesus asks, and the third question the people ask. Why are you afraid? Hmm? Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? When things happen, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Second, where is your faith? And what manner of man is this? Why are you afraid? One of the fundamental principles, honestly, living through life, one of the fundamental principles is to skip scripture. That is, oh, no man Nothing, anything, except the debt of love. You see, you live like that, you have nothing to be afraid of. Okay, You should always pray towards that. Lord, I want to be indebted to nobody, oh, no man, anything, except the debt of love, which we can never pay off. We can never pay off. Okay, one of these things. So you are not afraid. You are not afraid. Why was the uh, prophet's the uh, widow afraid? Because her husband owed money. And the creditors were coming to take her children. Accounts were not clear. He died in debt. He died in debt. But many, many others must have died. But they did not die in debt. So the widow does not have to worry. Okay? So understand. We have to understand this fundamental principle. Second thing, God has a very safe faith. Very safe faith. And we need to ask ourselves when things go wrong and we panic. God is asking us the same question. Where is your faith? And what have you put your faith? What is the object of your faith? Why are you crumbling? Why are you falling apart? Why are you angry? Why are you depressed? Why are you upset? Why are you panicking? Where is your faith? Third, when we have one and two together, we will ask, wow. What manner of man is this? Even the seas and the wind, the storms obey him. The demonic obey him. Right? Disease obey him. Death obeys him. Okay? And our faith is built up. So please understand the nature of faith. It is through fear. If you come to First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, remember you have an adversary. Adversary means enemy, the one who opposes you. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is the devil? The devil is a terrorist. Devil is a terrorist. What does a terrorist actually do? The terrorist tries to contain or, sorry, control minds through fear. 
You can have a population of 100,000, 10, 1 million people in a city. It's all it takes is one terrorist to lock the city down. One terrorist to lock the city down. You cannot find him. There's a terrorist. He's already shot two people. What do the cops do? Shut the whole city down until they take him out. And the terrorist, even if it's a lone wolf, as they call him, knows he cannot do anything. Yet, what does he want to do? He cannot change the system or anything. So what does he do? What he does is that he controls the whole thing through fear. Because fear paralyzes. Okay? Americans are withdrawing out of Afghanistan. By September 11, they will be out. And the Taliban is taking over. And the first thing, one of the first things they did is kill 40 young girls, school children. Girls, students, dead bodies all over there. Why? You will not be educated. Don't even think about going to school. So targets are very, very specific. Targets are not random. Targets are not random. Targets are hand-picked to send a message across. 9-11 attack. Very clear. Twin towers. Why? America is known for its economic strength. And these two towers symbolize Pentagon, your military strength. Okay, the third plane was supposedly heading towards White House or whatever. The brave passengers brought it down and killed themselves, gave up their lives to protect their nation. It was brought down, not by the terrorists, by the passengers. Okay, so you see, targets are not random. Are not random. Targets are chosen. So you have a battle going on in the Middle East. So you have hundreds and hundreds of rockets being fired into Israel to create panic. But the problem is Israel is a different nation. They will give it back harder than they get. And we need to understand that is the only way you can deal with a terrorist. You cannot negotiate with a terrorist. You cannot negotiate with the enemy. The minute you start negotiating with the enemy, you already lost your advantage. Already lost your advantage. I'm not getting into the whole politics of the Middle East, but if it is terrorism, you, that's what happened into, into New York too, in US too, the last one year you saw. 1,000 people, the entire black BLM movement who were burning cities was only around a thousand people. A thousand people held the entire country hostage. You know why? Because appeasement was going on with law and order. You cannot. 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 See, whenever we have, U.S. is a country which gives you the right to assemble, to protest. But whenever it moves to a level of violence, you are using terror as a weapon. And it has to be dealt with the iron fist. Iron fist. Iron fist. That's what Gandhi did. How did India free of the British rule? He says this one thing, non-violence. Non-violence. Because when you use violence... Basically, his fundamental principle was that if I use violence against the British, then I am no better than them. Then my entire cause is unjust. But the the power of a non-violent movement where people flood the streets and everything comes to a standstill, it has its own power. It has its own power. No violence. But what they are trying to do in US and in the Middle East, it's terror. And we need to realize deep inside we need to realize at an individual level when we are dealing with people, when we are dealing with men in our homes, are we terrorists? Are we terrorists? You have to be very careful about this because deep inside us is the terrorist. We use us fear and terror to control, to have our way. And God doesn't do that. doesn't do that. He never does that. Okay? 
never, even though we know, consider the severity and the kindness of God, God never uses terror. He says, understand, these are the consequences you will go through. You pick, pick your choice. You make a choice. These things will follow you. But ultimately, those things will teach you. And if you don't teach, learn from it, you will, you will, you will die. So please understand, devil is a terrorist. And he paralyzes his prey by fear. Okay? Like I said, lack of the right fear is dangerous. So you have to, you have to differentiate between caution, concern, and fear. Okay? Because ignorance is dangerous. It kills. For 2000 years, the, the church has been involved in a battle against the terrorist called the devil. And the Bible says, be sober, be alert. Why is he compared to a roaring lion? Why does a lion roar? To intimidate, to paralyze its, uh, its, uh, prey. That's why it roars. It paralyzes. The heart sinks in fear. But if you look at almost all its prey out there, they can run faster than him. Can run faster than him. Can run faster than him. But he paralyzes, causes confusion, paralyzes them through his roar. So the devil is a roaring lion. Okay? The devil doesn't come directly to us. He uses systems which are in his control. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway or the control of the evil one, wicked one. So he uses systems to cause fear. Cause fear. Okay? You will see old war movies and all this thing all painted to look fearsome. What is the whole idea? Even before the battle has begun, your heart sink in fear looking at, no? That is why in the army, even in the Indian army, except for the Gorkha regiment, there is a minimum height. Minimum height. Okay. It does not mean if you are short, you are not strong. And then you look at Maradona, he was one of the best footballers and he was short. Incredible stamina, skills and all, but that's not the thing. Only Gorkha, because of their tribe and their warlike race, they have been given an exemption, five, six or five, five or something there, but others and all you need to be, and you're just thinking, why? To intimidate. To intimidate. Okay? To intimidate. Okay, so remember, first is not battle, first you have to intimidate your enemy. That's how Goliath comes and he intimidates. They didn't pick any um, Philistine. They picked the biggest, the tallest, the broadest and sent them. And they looked at him. They were afraid. Their heart sank. Their heart sank. So, Bible says he's a roaring lion and intimidates or he paralyzes the prey by fear. Note, if you know, I have not given you the spirit of. Fear is a spirit. Therefore, you cannot fight it with a gun. If you could fight with a gun, then Nebuchadnezzar should be fearless. He is, by today's term, Z category security he has. You shouldn't be afraid at all. Nobody can come near him. How many levels of security you have to cross before you can reach Nebuchadnezzar? Yet he is afraid. He is afraid. Why? Fear is a spirit. So you cannot fight something that is a spirit with anything carnal, anything worldly. That's why the Bible says the weapons of a warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. So what the most powerful man on earth cannot do, a child of God can. 
Because he's been equipped spiritually to fight this. Because to fight something that is spiritual, you need something that is spiritual and more powerful. Spiritual and more powerful. Right? So you cannot fight the spirit of fear with anything that is carnal. All the money in the world, all the protection in the world, all the security gadgets, all that in the world. You know what? It's not going to give you peace. Whom he may devour, the Bible says. So what is his intention? His intention is to devour. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Devouring is destroying. His intention is not just to kill or to steal. He want to destroy completely that you never rise again. You never rise again. You never rise again. So when there is this statement, whom he may devour, it also implies there are some he cannot. There are some he cannot. That's why God asked him, where did he come from? Roaming? Did you see my boy Job? He said, yeah, can't devour him. He devoured everybody else. Got everybody in his control. But he said, there's a man there, the place called Luz, right? Luz. Uz, Uz, yeah, Uz. Luz is some other place. Somebody else lived there, yeah. Hmm? Yeah, okay. And there is Job. Can't devour him. Can't devour him. And he says, the reason is you put a hedge around him. Can't devour him. So implies there are people who cannot be devoured. Okay? And we need to realize, in John chapter 14 and verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He couldn't touch Jesus. He roared. It didn't work. He couldn't touch Jesus. He couldn't devour Jesus. He couldn't. He had no power over him. No authority over him. Absolutely nothing. You know? Why is it so? Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at fundamentals of this roaring lion. So how we tackle fear. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So please understand, devil can imitate God, can do a lot of things which God can and man cannot. Okay, And the supernatural level, on the spirit level, they, <coughs> they have lots of power. So these occult people, the wizards and the witches, when they talk about getting out in the body and going in the spirit and all, it is true, they can do stuff. The demons can do that. They can imitate or do, duplicate a lot of things which God does on this side. Philip going in the spirit and all, they can also do. But remember, the plagues in Egypt, first three, they also did. And after that, there is a limit. So that is what the Bible says. The devil uses lying wonders. They are wonders. They are wonders. But to deceive. God uses wonders to liberate. The devil uses wonders to deceive. Wonders to deceive. Like all these idiots who are in this circle. Stuck there in this circle. Why are they stuck there in this circle, these masters? Why are they stuck in this? They get beaten up every day. They live like slaves over there. They put a face outside. The most miserable set of men and women. But why do they go through all that? You know why? And why are they called masters? And why do we have all these masters of the universe, cartoon and everything? You know why? Because they have been told, if you die, you come back as a master. These are all ascended masters. Buddha and Krishna and Christ are all ascended masters. Masters will become like them, one of them. And they have been sold that and they believe it. 
They believe it. And how do they believe? Because he gives them lying wonders. Lying wonders. They are able to do a lot of supernatural things. A lot of supernatural things. They can levitate, they can heal people, all kind of things people do. It is not like old days. There are smart top people in the world, all who go over to get demonic power to do supernatural things and they prosper, they do well. Why? Because I've been sold a lie. I've been sold a lie. People don't go to these places without any reason. They won't go. If there is nothing sold there, the product is not good, nobody will buy it. The devil is the world's best salesman. Okay, He's the best salesman. He sells. He sells it well and people take it, but they do not look at eternity. He has hidden eternity. That's why he hates the preaching of the cross. He doesn't despise the gospel if you change it. He doesn't mind the prosperity gospel. He says, I will also preach it along with you. But he hates the gospel of the cross. Because the cross is what defeated him. And the man who clings to the cross, he knows has, he has no power over him. The man who picks up his cross and walks daily, the devil loses power over him. He cannot devour him because he's already dead. And at death, the devil's power stops. So dead men, he can't do anything with them. So that's what Jesus said. Don't worry about those who can kill you. And after that, what? What can he do to you? Nothing. But the one you should fear is after death can throw your soul into hellfire. So God says, primary way to overcome devil on a daily basis is pick up your cross, die and walk. He can't do anything with dead men. So when he came to Jesus, Jesus was dead. Dead to his own will, to his own life, and living the life of his father. And the devil could do nothing to him. Okay, When God is telling us to do certain things, it is not that he gets some pleasure out of it. It's God for our benefit because we have an adversary who looks, who seeks, whom he can devour. And he can do lots of crazy stuff he can do. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. He says, it's been given to me. The question, who gave it to him? Not God. Adam. Adam. It was given to Adam. Adam gave it to the devil. Because who you choose to believe controls your mind. That's how it is. Who you choose to believe controls your mind. And I give it to whomever I wish. You just worship me. So he's not fooling. He's not fooling. And that's why people run after these things. In John chapter 8 and verse 44. Look at what Jesus says. You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. What does he say? He says you are of your father the devil. Okay, Meaning, father in the sense of not physical. We say Gandhi is the father of India. Did he birth India? No. He was the influence behind the birthing of this nation as a free country. Okay? Father. That's what it means. He says you are the father. You think like him. You do what he tells you to do. He's your father. So I should have a question. Next question should, who's your father? You can have a physical father and a spiritual father. And you may end up obeying somebody. Whoever you obey is ultimately your father. Okay? He says, your father. You are of the father, the devil. Though you are going out in the name of God, your father is the devil. Why? Who's your father? Whose desire you do is your father. That's what he's saying. The desires of your father you want to do. Whose desire is that you want to do? 
Jesus said, I know my father. Why? Because I want to do his desires. I don't do my desires. I want to do his desires. His desires. Who is your father? It's an incredible question, Jesus says. You are of your father, the devil. Why? Because you say, we have Abraham as a father. He said, no. Abraham is a physical father. But you're doing the desires of somebody else. Because Abraham wouldn't do what you are doing. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You'll say, Moses, sit in the seat of Moses, but you don't do what Moses would do. So who is your father? Whosoever desire you do, that is your father. Father. You, you see that happening with children right away when they start going to school. Till then they listen to their father, their mother, this thing, daddy, mommy, yes, mommy told me that. As they go going to school and there is a contradiction. One of the fundamental things of schools these days is to contradict your parents. Mm-hmm. And a little later the child comes back and says, no, that is not. Who said? Teacher said. No, teacher has become your father. Has become your father. Okay, become your father. So there is this shift that takes place. That is why we say, you want a safe place? You need to have three safe places. Where a home where God is the head, a school where God is the head, and church where it's a good. You have only one father. You have only one father. A man who is surrendered to God, a school that is surrendered to God, and a church that is surrendered to God. You have only one father. Otherwise you will end up with mind split. Confused. It's a confused generation. Completely confused generation. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God and the children of devil are manifest. So there are two fathers. There are two sets of children. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So the children of God practice righteousness. They practice. It's a practice. They may fall here or fall there. I mean it looked like, let us say, Abigail's mathematics. Her dad gave her 20 sums. I hope you give her less. 20 sums. Okay. <laughs> okay. 20 sums. Okay. And she finishes. She took the answer paper. She's got 18 out of 20. Now you don't look at two and say she doesn't know math. You say, you know, she's practicing maths. She's practicing maths. Okay. So that's what God is talking about. The children of God practice righteousness. Okay. Their erring is an aberration. It's not the norm. It's an aberration. It's, it's not the norm. Earlier I sinned and did not become a sinner. I sinned because I was a sinner. So sinning was my natural thing. Now when you are born again, you have been imputed the righteousness of God. So now righteousness is your nature, but because of the old nature, you sin too. But sinning is not your nature. Righteousness is your nature. So God says there is a complete shift that has taken place. Earlier when you were a sinner, lying was your nature. Now that you have been born again, truth is your nature. does not mean you don't lie. But when you lie, you are convicted. Earlier when you lied, you feel good. You know, I got away. I'm smart. You should be like me. I can get away through any situation. That was Jacob. That was Jacob. Okay, so understand there's a shift that is taking place over here. Those who practice differentiate children. Okay? Children resemble their father. God is your father. This is what you practice. The devil is your father. This is what you practice. This is what you practice. Okay? Now again, note over here. Note over here. Okay? Go to Romans 8 verse 15 and Ephesians 1 5. 
two. Okay, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba. Father, Ephesians 1, 5, having predestined us to adoption. In these two words, so there are other verses too, I just gave you two. What's the common word? Common word is adoption. That is why we use these two terms, born and born again. We were born. And then when we were born again, we were adopted. Adopted. Okay, adopted. You see, children are born. Let me give you an example so that we understand this very, very well. So that we understand our struggles. Okay, understand. John 1.12, when we are born again, as many as received them, to them, he gave them the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his. That's when you are born again. And Romans 8.14, but as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. From being born again, you have to become where you are led by God. I'll tell you the difference between born and adoption. We have our homes. Okay, we have our homes. Normal and special needs children. I'll leave the normal off. I'll tell you, talk here about the special needs children. We have special needs children. Some of them are, of course, mentally handicapped, severely cerebral palsy and all kind of things. But among them were others, okay, who were not mentally so much handicapped. I'm not, I'm, I mean, they did not have physical issues. Okay, I'm not naming names. A couple of them were rescued off the streets and they were maybe two or three or four years old. I'm not very sure. They were used for begging by gangs. So when these kids came to us, they had sores and wounds all over their bodies. Because you, the more wounds you have, more money you make. Okay, so they were, we don't know how long they were on the streets and how they were used and how they were abused. We do not know. Okay? And that's when they were rescued and came to us. But I will tell you about these kids who came out of that kind of a, this thing. They were born there and they were adopted, meaning they have come into our custody. But because they grew up in that this thing, what happened is they are very street smart. And I used to say, you know what? These kids have no feeling at all. They're not feeling at all. They have no genuine love for anybody. They're always on the lookout to see what I can get out of this and they will try anything to get what they want and come out of it. So they have no genuine love at all. You know why? Because of how they grew up. That's how they were used in the streets. Be smart. Be street smart. Bring the money. This thing. So they will do anything to get so that they can escape out of the situation. Okay? And we, I, keep, I know, I know, I keep talking about Matulika, but Matulika came to us when she was a month old, and she was literally dying. So those kind of kids who come, you, if you ever get a kid, you should get it as early as possible. Doesn't matter what physical state it is, and you need to hug that baby, hold that baby so many times, and speak over it because they need to have the desire to live; otherwise, they will die. Otherwise, they will. That's why God keeps on telling us how much He loves us. Because he says, I want you to have a desire to live and not die. Okay? And therefore, that child was different. The child was different. She was the most joyous, most loving, the most mischievous kid you could ever meet. The difference is, she too was born and abandoned. But when she was adopted in that sense, she was doing the desires of her father. Now we need to realize we were all born into this world in the flesh. And when we are born again, when we are born again, still we are like the devil. What can I get out of this? 
what can i get out of life so the problem thing is that for a long time if you don't get our mind straight knocked straight by god we are us- actually using god we are actually using god and not allowing god to use us you know why because we are street smart we are street smart the entire purpose of the teaching in the word of god is we've been adopted now do the desires of the father who adopted you adopted you not the father who originally birthed you who's you were don't do his desires but we know because we came from there we are very street smart we can play both sides very well both sides very well and we need to understand these are the struggles we face and unless we look objectively into eternity and know where we are going and what is set for us over there and realistically look at loss and gain over there things will fall into place we are still looking into this life and looking at loss and gain no that is what adoption does that's why the bible doesn't say we are born as god's children say born again meaning you are born as the devil's child and born again as god's child and in that born again thing what actually happens is we are adopted we are adopted god had only one son only begotten son that is jesus only be- everyone else is adopted including israel everyone is adopted and adopted children have to learn to live in the father's house have to be taught how to live in that is the entire purpose of the teaching what did the fake fellows come and do they manipulate the teaching and teach you how to live for the other fellow in the house of god like i said yesterday there are two kinds of things the world that enemy does in an oppressive situation he uses oppression to cause fear comply 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 so all those nations the gospel is not allowed to preach and the church is underground then in the liberal places like the western christianity and all he knows you cannot use oppression so what did he do he joined the priesthood he joined the priesthood so what do you have false apostles false prophets false evangelists false pastors false preachers and false brethren who do they beget they beget false brethren This is what Paul talking about you need to be very smart to understand the wiles of the devil on that side he will use oppression this side he will join the gang he will come himself as an angel of light so it matters what you believe it matters who your father is it matters whose desires you do whose desires you do <clears throat> 1 John chapter 5 18 and 19 we know that who ever is born of god does not sin but he who has been born of god keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him okay so it's giving you a principle if you do not okay that's why i keep telling you listen to the wednesday messages very carefully messages messages are tuned on how not to sin so the devil cannot teach touch you other messages are how to fight this battle you need both you should not end up like samson having fought the devil and killed by him at the end whoever is born of god does not sin but he who has been born of god keeps himself one you are taught how not to sin two you are taught how to keep yourself and the effect of it the wicked one cannot touch him 
Cannot touch him. That's what the Bible says. That there's a teaching of the shepherd. The teaching of the shepherd, he he leads me in paths of righteousness. Righteousness is a path. It's a path. It's in that paths of righteousness when I go, there is also this valley of shadow of death. The path of righteousness in this life goes right through the valley of shadow of death, but I fear no evil. I fear no evil. Why? Because the wicked one cannot touch me. Cannot touch me there. He cannot touch me. Why? Because God is with me. So fundamental things are told over there. We cannot skirt these things. And then shouted God saying, Lord, why did this happen to me? He said, because you strayed off the path. You strayed off the path. You went away from the path, which is true. We, we all went away from the path. I went away from the path. And you get beaten up. Stay in that path. We know we are of God. That's a marker. We know we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know we are of God. The question is, do we know we are of God? Well, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Okay. Now, when you come to the devil, okay, devil, he primarily touches you Two ways. One, he entices you. Two, he intimidates you. In China, he intimidates you. In America, he entices you. And finally, when he comes together, he will entice you and intimidate you. Both can come together. So how does the devil touch us? Okay. And how does the child of God Respond. How do you know the difference? Look at Second Corinthians chapter 4, 8 and 9. Okay? <clears throat> I put it in two columns over here. Trouble, hard pressed. On the other side, not crushed, not distressed. Meaning, the righteous and the unrighteous walk and live in the same world. With the same problems. Our problems are no different from others. You know what, Corona, Christians are not in the hospital. They are not dying of Corona. They are not dying of poverty. Their children are not going wonky. Everything the unbeliever goes through, we also go through. That is not the point. Your reaction is a key. How you react is the key. That's what shows you're victorious or not. Because the real victory is inside. And how you manifest it continuously, consistently. We are hard-pressed on every side. But not crushed. Not distressed. And I will use the word distressed. Perplexed. But not in despair. Confused completely, honestly. Lord, I'm totally confused. Which way is the world going? No clue at all. Like one week back we are looking at America. One week later we are looking at Jerusalem. No clue which way it is going. Antichrist is going to come from Europe, 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 Europe. Now looking, is he coming from China? This seems to be taking over the whole world. Totally perplexed. But not in despair. Not in despair. You know why? Because we know who is in control. Not in despair. We can be absolutely confused. But not in despair. When you are confused and in despair, that means you are not winning the battle. Third thing, persecuted. Persecuted. Forsaken. Persecuted. Forsaken. The question is, 
You're persecuted. Are you forsaken? Do you feel you're forsaken? Let me tell you about things that is happening over here in the world. Muslims are persecuted in China. All right? Hindus are persecuted in certain countries. The Falam, what is that called? Falam Gong is persecuted. Okay? There's a kind of a Buddhist sect. Okay? So all religious people are being persecuted in. But the largest persecuted group are the Christians. But have you noticed that there is a voice that speaks for every persecuted group except the Christians? After Trump went, nobody is speaking for the Christians. But are you forsaken? You're not. That's, but the question is not, we know in theory we are not forsaken. That is why the letters of Paul, his experiences in prison are so fantastic, phenomenal. Because you what? He's persecuted. But he knows he's not forsaken. And when you are persecuted and not forsaken, meaning you know God is with you right there, your reaction shows. Your reaction shows. Your reaction shows. And that's where we have to look at and in each of the situations say, you know what? Is my faith real? Am I overcoming? Or am I paralyzed by fear? Has my fear caused despair? Has my fear caused depression? Because there are no songs. Oh, how can we sing songs of Zion in Babylon? We hung our harps. No songs. Because you know what? For them, Zion is a place. It is not the presence of God. Yet on the other hand, there is Ezekiel in the same land by the river Cheber, vision after vision after vision, being taken in the spirit. You know why? Not in despair. Not in despair. Not in despair. There are probably hundreds of prisoners in the prison in Philippi, groaning and mumbling and cursing and everything. And two people are singing. Suddenly there is silence. Pin drop silence. Everybody is listening. You know why? They're winning the battle. So understand, the devil will use either temptation, enticement, or intimidation. For what? To cause us to get off the path of righteousness so that he can devour us. He can control us. He uses either fear or he uses desire. If it is fear, he paralyzes us. We forget the truth. Everything we learned in Sunday school on to graduation in Bible college, everything is forgotten. Everything is gone out of the window. All is forgotten. But the truth stands. You look at First Samuel chapter 17, verse 11 and verse 24. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. You see what fear does? Eight, nine feet tall, tiny, in bronze, and this thing, and great description is given. When he shouts, it must be like thunder and all. But look at the other side of the reality. All you needed, God needed to take this man down was a young boy with a stone. But this man has paralyzed the entire camp using intimidation. But the reality of what you are facing, what it takes to take him down, is a boy with a stone who believes in his God. Just a stone, not a weapon, no weapon at all. Just a stone and a sling. And a little boy, young boy, teenager. 
God is saying, you know what the devil does? He intimidates and he paralyzes you. Paralyzes you. After that, all you are able to see is through fear, the lens of fear. Paralyzed. Paralyzed. And I look at the Americans, the believers, the conservatives in America. Paralyzed by fear. Nincompoops. Nonsense. 75 million people. Get on the streets and see who will stop you. Get on the streets and say, enough is enough. Shut our borders down. This is our country. Get on the streets. 75 million people. You know what? Nation will change. You know what? Being paralyzed by fear. That's why the Justice Department, the FBI, all in the hands of the deep state for years and years and years. Intimidation tactics. Roger Stone arrested. Remember how they came? Young man, he doesn't even have a license gun. Early in the morning, breaking down his door, SWAT team with CNN watching. Rudy Giuliani, acclaimed lawyer, mayor of New York, man who brought law and order over. What is he saying? That it doesn't matter. We can come after you. So why do they do these things to intimidate? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. We will come after you. And people are scared. Scared. You know what? You know what? In this nation, Gandhi was not scared. The British government was scared of him. He was not scared. The simple man, what did he have? He didn't even have proper clothes. One stick. Just few clothes. Walked around. Not bothered. Not bothered. Okay. We had a set of people who were not uh, what you could intimidated by the British army. They are not intimidated. Because you are intimidated, you are useless. You, God can't do anything, man cannot do anything with you. But in the other side of the world, it is all demonic. They have no, they are not intimidated. They drink snake blood and animal blood and pump themselves up with sorcery, everything, and they go out. We don't need that. We have the Spirit of God. That's why the Bible says when everyone went to fight, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. We don't need to do all this junk like the demonic does. You know? So we need to understand what we are fighting and how we fight and how fear has crippled the Western nations. You look at the UK results. They had their, they had their elections recently. Labour has been practically been wiped out except for London and Birmingham. These are where the Asians live. The Muslims and the Asians live. So that's except for that almost Labour Party has been wiped out. What does that tell you? It tells you the conservatives are a huge majority. A small set of people, radical people controlling the leverage of power is controlling them. But why are they controlling them? Because they're afraid to come out. They don't have to break a car. They don't have to break a so thing. All they have to come out and stand in the streets and fill the streets. The government will come to a landstill. Because I know it happened in Hyderabad when NTR took over. From one end of the city to the other side, the people came and stood and the government collapsed. They just filled the streets. They didn't do anything. It was just a sea of yellow. Just a sea of yellow. You know when the people come out like that, you don't need violence. It's the will of the people. The will of the people. No? And that's what God is saying. This fellow is a terrorist. Devil is a terrorist. He intimidates. He paralyzes people. That good people are able to do nothing. You know why? Paralyzed by fear. Yet what do you need to take this fellow out? One boy with a stone. That's all you need. One boy. And that's what God is doing with Gideon and his army. 
He says, you know what? The fearful. The fearful. In Gideon's case, God is saying, I need just 300 men. Just 300 men who are not fearful. All I need is 300 men. I don't need 32,000. No, I just need 300 men to take care of the Amalekites. An enemy knows this very well. He knows it very well. So what does he do? Because you remember the enemy has centuries of knowledge of knowing God and how his kingdom works. The righteousness of the scepter of his righteousness, his holiness, God's ways. The devil knows it all very well. So what does he do? Because he knows God's nature and how God's kingdom works, he does two things. Either he paralyzes us with fear or he compromises us with sin. That's James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. Okay, please understand this. The devil can only tempt you. Devil cannot make you do anything. Devil can only tempt you. But you have your desires. Okay, desires. That is why we say, how do you handle desires? If you handle the first desire, you can handle all the rest. What is the first desire? What to eat. That's why training for a child begins straight in the beginning. What caused Isaac to fail at the end? His mommy. What she fed him. It's as simple as that. His father's training worked for the most of his life. And his mother's lack of training caused him to fall at the end. Food is the first desire of the child. First desire of the child. What you drink and what you eat and what you drink. What does the child drink? Milk. And when she's able to drink or he or she is able to drink milk, which is not the mother's milk, what do we do? We add sugar. Did the mother put sugar in her breast milk? No. But we add sugar. Sugar is for the health? No, it's for taste. To make your job easy. Not the baby's job easy. And that is how a desire comes in. That is how a desire. You know what? Who are Joseph's, uh, Daniel's mentors were there? They're good mentors. They trained him well in the beginning. That's why it talks about Jesus, what he ate. Talks about what John the Baptist, what he ate. Locusts and wild honey. What is it written over there? What does this locust have? Protein. What does honey have? The rest. Control. Absolute control because you have been called for a great purpose. That's how desire begins. Desire begins there. And if you understand at the root of it, all desires are the same, but going in different direction. If you go to the first one and learn to handle these things, you know what happens? You are making a warrior out of a child. All the child needs is the Spirit of God to come upon him. Okay. And when we do not, it is a huge struggle. It's a huge, huge struggle. No? And you need realize, you know what, there's a difference between your tongue and your stomach. That's what you were saying. Sweet in the stomach, a mild tongue, and bitter in the stomach. Okay? In your mind, because of all these desires, your tongue is craving. But if you have changing because of a situation, your stomach rejects. Ask my wife. <laughs> you try something because over a over a month it is because of this thing a diet is changing. 
Okay, mouth hates it, stomach loves it. And because of this lockdown, I wasn't there at home yesterday. So she tried something, and her stomach rejected it. <laughs> Six in the morning, I went home and made her usual breakfast, and there's no issues now. So there has to, but if we grow up with our tongue and our stomach in alignment, in alignment, okay, alignment, okay. God is not saying you shouldn't enjoy these things and all, but remember, you if you allow these things to control, that's how the devil entices with desire, and a child is born with no desire, though it's all there inside, it has to be manifested. It has to be manifested. It is manifested by which desire you feed. Which desire you feed. So he either will cause you to fall by what? Sin, desire. Or he will cause you to fall by fear. Or both. Usually it's a combination of both. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin which is full grown, brings forth. It's a process. We have plenty of messages on this. It's, it doesn't happen like that overnight. It is a process by which you go. Note, both are temptation. Both are temptation. Enticement is temptation. To run is also temptation. Fear is also temptation. Both are temptation, but different ways. One is to cause you to fall. The other is to cause you to run and hide. So if one doesn't work, he will do two. Okay. In China, he uses fear. In US, he uses the other one. Temptation. I always ask people, young people, oh, uncle, uncle, I want to go to US to study for what? For what? Let's be honest. Why do you want to go to US? Enjoy. Chuck. <laughs> Simple thing. Enjoy. It is not for studying. If you are going to study, show me the university you want to go to. Honestly, show me the university you want to go to. I want to go. At that, there are better ones in India. You want to go to Harvard or many, really Princeton and all you think you can get it? Then I understand you want to go there to study. You don't want to study. You want to enjoy Let us be brutally honest. Brutally honest. So what will the devil do? Either he will cause you to run and hide using fear. Or he will entice you and cause you to fall. Either way he wins. Victory is gone. In First Samuel chapter 27 verse 1, he ran. The man of God ran. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of God. What is this? Fear. He causes fear. He runs. Result of it verse Seven. Now time David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. Sixteen months. He's serving the powers he's called to defeat. We end up, a child of God ends up serving the devil because of fear. We don't serve God. But whose child are we? God's child. Who do we serve? We serve the devil. Why? Because of fear. Crippled by fear. Paralyzed by fear. Yes, prospering. Town is being built, Ziglag is built, money is coming and every one day God will burn it all in. One day he will burn it all off. Because the man has a, blessed is the man whose 
city built in Philistine territory is burned down. It's blessed. Yes, Uzziklak is burned down. Okay. But you see this is what fear did to him. He's dwelling in the enemy land, serving the powers which he is anointed to destroy. We have been anointed to destroy the powers of darkness. Why? For this purpose the son of man came that he might destroy the works of the devil and through each one of us God wants to destroy the works of the devil and not serve the devil and then he wins ultimately we know he wins he overcomes now he's won all his wars the devil realizes you know what this man cannot be intimidated with fear anymore he's he's learned he has learned how to tackle fear now it is dangerous don't go to war with him he will defeat you so what does he do? Second Samuel chapter 12. It happened in the spring of the year at a time when kings go out to battle. Job, David sent Job and his servants with him. All Israel, they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. What? He uses ease and pleasure. He entices him. Doesn't intimidate him. Doesn't intimidate him. He entices him. Entices him. And we know he falls. But the thing is that it is still war. Israel is at war. When Saul is going, Israel is at war. Here also Israel is at war. There's a war going on. But the problem is he's not fighting. He's not winning any war because there he did not win because of fear. Here he did not win because of pleasure. Enticed. So either way you are not fighting the devil. So devil knows if he cannot intimidate you to run, he can entice you to fall. Either way, you leave me alone and my plans will continue with the people. So he falls and he falls and he falls and he falls and he falls. And if you look at chapter 12 and verse 26 to 29. Now Job fought against Rabbah. All the people of Ammon took the royal city. Job sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have taken the city's water supply. He's saying, last push. Water supply also has been taken. The city is about to surrender. Would you please come and fight? Therefore, gather the rest of the people together. Telling me it's nine o'clock. Okay. Encamp against the city. Take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So David gathered all the people together, went to Rabbah, fought against it and took it. You know what happened? All this season he has been sinning. And finally Nathan has come, confronted him. He's overcome sin. He's able to go out and win the battle. If he cannot get you to run because of fear, he will entice you to sin so that you cannot win against the enemy. You may do all the things in the world, sitting in the palace with your concubine and all the singers coming and you pretending to go to the temple and worship me. But the devil knows you ain't doing anything to me. You ain't doing anything to me. I know you know all the scriptures, bind and loosen and trample and nothing is happening. You can do all that. Okay. So you will see in David's life, those 16 months in the Philistines territory and the beginning of his fall to the end of the fall, there are no Psalms. No songs. No testimony. Okay. These are the fundamental lessons God is teaching us. 22,000 of them were fearful. 9,700 were compromised. He said, remove them. Are you understanding where he separated them by the water? These are not the fearful ones. They are not fearful. The fearful have already left. So who are these 9,700? The compromised one. They have been enticed. You keep them. He said, take them to the water. I will tell you which one, which one. He says, they are thirsty. They are thirsty. He says, you look at them. 
you will see the desire overcoming them. They are so thirsty. You know what they will do? Those ones who will get down, put them aside. They have no control. And the ones who will sit and take and drink while watching out for the enemy, put them aside, only 300. He says, use them to fight. So God also, your fear, that's why the devil is on a leash, but the end of the leash in God's hands. He uses the devil to separate God's people. People will ask, after I got saved, why didn't God, um, why does the devil still have power? Why doesn't God put him? He says, he's using the devil to sift us, to teach us, to show us you can be like Gideon, fearful, double-minded, carnal and be made into a mighty man of valor if you understand how to fight get these principles together how to fight so there are 32000 people who come 31700 are separated of 22000 are fearful 9700 are enticed what you have left you have 300 people left and god says that's enough that's enough how many 300 send the others home 300 left what do you look at the 300? No fear. No compromise. They are one with Gideon. Judges 7, 16 to 18. Let me finish. I'll take five. We have one hour to go home. He divided the 300 men into three companies. He put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers, torches inside the pitchers. He said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. When I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and I who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Let me explain to you. Gideon here, for us in the new covenant. Okay? Gideon is a type of Christ. We cannot see God unless we see Christ. No man can know God other than through Christ. It's impossible. You want to know God? You need to know Christ. Because Christ is the representation of God to man. He's God in flesh. We are flesh. If you want to know God, you have to know Christ. It's impossible to know God other than through Christ. So Gideon is a picture. Right? Hebrews 12.1 will talk about all these uh, all cloud of witnesses. And one of the witnesses cried, What are we looking at Gideon? How are your witness? He's a witness in his, in his life of a section of Jesus' life. There's a part of Gideon which represents the life of Christ. Okay? So, verse 17. What does Gideon say? Look at me and do likewise. Watch. and When I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. What does he say? Look at me and do likewise. Go, go to John chapter 5 and verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, whatever he does, the son also does in a like manner. Why do the Bible says look unto Jesus? Because when Jesus came, he looked at the father and imitated the father. He says the son can do nothing of his own. Everything Jesus did is exactly what God would do, what the father would do. Father would do. And Hebrews 3.11, what are we asked to do? We are asked to do 3.11 and 12.2. I didn't give it? Yeah, sorry. Three, oh, sorry. 3.1. Not 3.11. 3.1. Yeah. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider who? The apostle. 
And I will say, fix your eyes, your gaze upon Jesus Christ. The high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Why do we have to look at him? Because we have to do what he does. We have to do as he does. That's why Jesus came and says, I do nothing on my own. I watch my father do, and I will do it exactly. He says, for billions of years or eternity, I've been with the father. I know how my father lives. I know how my father talks. I know how my father behaves. I know how my father does. When I'm here on earth, I'm doing exactly as he does. Now we are asked to fix our eyes on Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 12, 2 will tell us the same thing. You have a cloud of witnesses and verse 2 will say, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know what? That's exactly what Gideon is saying. Look at me and do what I do. Look at me and do what I do. Let me ask you this question. Do you the name? Do you know the name of there are three hundred and one people there? Three hundred and one people there. Gideon and the three hundred. Do you know the name of the three hundred? We don't have to know their names. Nobody has to know our name. The only name that has to be known is our Gideon, that is Christ. And what is the battle cry? The sword of the Lord? The sword of what is our battle cry? The sword of God and the sword of Christ. That's the battle cry. We don't have to be known. We just have to be included in that 300. That's all. Our names are irrelevant. Our names are irrelevant. The only thing is that we need to be part of that 300. And it is the sword of God and the sword of Christ. And you just have to do what he tells you to do. And when you listen, when you have come through this process of sifting by God, not shifting, but sifting by God. And you have become one of that Christ. The title of today's message is Christ 300. It is not 300. It's a symbolic number in Gideon's case. It is 300. But Christ can have 30,000 or 3 million. We do not know. But let's use the term Christ 300. When you have come through this sifting and become part of Christ 300, then in verse 16, Judges 2, uh, 7 and verse 16, He put a trumpet into every man's hand, empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. Meaning, what is in your hand is irrelevant. It does not matter what is in your hand. Whatever is in your hand, you will win. Like I said, a man or a woman of God who delights to do the will of God, whatever he or she does is the will of God. Is this the will of God? You don't have to worry because he or she delights to do the will of God. So Jesus delights to do the will of God. So when he calls Herod a fox, that is his, God's will. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. It is God's will. Because it's a man who delights to do it. Because you always say, oh, am I politically correct? He wasn't. He wasn't. So whatever, because we are always, Lord, what are you giving me? The weapons of warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God. So it does not matter what that weapon actually is. It does not matter. Moses' rod, Joshua's javelin, left-handed Ehud's dagger, Shamgar's ox goat, Jael's hammer and ten peg, Gideon's trumpet and torch, Samson's bare hands, because he first tore the lion with his bare hands, and a donkey's jawbone, Jonathan's sword, 
David Sling, the list goes on. It does not matter what it is. Does not matter what it is. What matters is, have you come through the sifting? Can you come through the sifting? So people ask this question, especially on Saturdays. Why does God allow Satan to sift us? Not to, not to overcome us. To sift us. Why does he allow all these things? Why doesn't he take us? He says, if you take us, what will you be in heaven? Babies. Babies. God doesn't want babies. So though we love babies, only when they grow old, we wish they would become babies again. <laughs> but when they are babies, we want them to grow up. Right? God doesn't want babies. He wants sons and daughters. And that's the beginning. When you are born again, you are adopted. As many as you received him, he gave them the authority, the power to become the children of God. And as many as are led by the Spirit shall be called the sons of God. These 300 are led. They are led. They are led. They are not pushed. They are not pushed. They are not forced. They are led. Come honey. They are led. question is, can you be led? That's why Psalm 23 is so powerful. It's a very personal psalm. The Lord is my, it begins with that. Who's my Lord? He's my shepherd. And after that, the Lord leads. He leads, he leads, he makes me, he leads me, he does this, everything is the Lord. Yeah. He restores, he guides. The Lord is, the problem is, he's a shepherd and he's a sheep. The question is, nobody wants to be a sheep. You want to be known as share lion, tigress of Bengal, lion of Gujarat. No. <laughs> the problem is we get all these pictures and we also want, no, at least make me a cat I can scratch somebody or a dog bite somebody. But he called us sheep. Sheep are defenseless and sheep are dumb. Dumb. Come on. We don't want to be known, act foolish. We don't want to be known foolish. Paul says, I'm willing to be a fool for Christ Jesus because the man who walks by faith is a foolish fellow in the eyes of the world. He's a weak fellow in the world. The sheep is the most defenseless and the most foolish creature you will ever find on earth. What's the difference? The sheep has a shepherd. Difference is the shepherd. That's why God calls himself a shepherd. And we came out of the world. We adopted from the world. We came in as lions and tigers and snakes and hyenas and all kind of creepy, crawly things. And he's trying to make us first sheep. And then lead us. We'll say, Lord, why is this happening to me? I, I, I used to fight everybody. What happened? I broke your horns and fangs off. You're a sheep. You can't bite. You can butt somebody. You can't do that. You're a sheep. Remember what Saul of Tarsus became? He was a fighter going around throwing people into prison, beating up people and he said, mellow. How did he become mellow? Every town God had a set of people to beat him up. <laughs> to the point ultimately he's saying, I am rejoicing in tribulations. God says, that's my sheep. That's my sheep. I cannot live without you, Lord. <laughs> Did you see how God does? We don't understand these pictures. 
we will fight the very things God is bringing into our lives and he will tell us exactly what you told Saul of Sasra. Why are you kicking against the goats? Why are you kicking against the goats? Half the time, Christians are not fighting the devil. They are fighting God. They are fighting God. Hmm? They are fighting God. Okay, hon? Yes, now let us pray. Okay, thank you. Yes, Father, we just thank you. We just thank you, we just thank you, we just thank you, Lord. We are not paralyzed. We shall not be enticed. We shall fight this good fight of faith. We shall not be depressed or discouraged. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Never, ever forsaken. We will never ask, where is God? Where is God?